Let's talk for a little bit about Pennsylvania. This past summer, I was in the middle of Pennsylvania visiting my mother-in-law at a camp, summer camp. I needed a place to go work. I started looking online, where's a place to go get a little bit of work done, maybe a coffee shop in town, maybe, you know, really any place, a library, something, but it was a Sunday, so there's not that much stuff open. I look online, looking around for this type of coffee shop, and what do I find? I find an interesting coffee shop called Black and Brass, and I say, hey, you know, this might fit the bill. I show up, I look around, very eclectic decor, super interesting place, and I got into a conversation with the owner, Travis Rivera. And actually, that's who's going to be with us today for an interview. This is the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. Now your host, Ari Gunsberg. Travis, would you like to say hi? Hey, how's it going? It's going really good. It was really an amazing thing that, that happened to me that I was able to come to your coffee shop. And I recall we got into this whole conversation when we were there as well. And I, I love what you're doing. I really do. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You know, getting a little bit of work done on a door that was turned on its side and made into a bar table, that was that was an experience that I, you know, I don't know if my life would have been complete without. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't know uh, I actually built that. Uh, when we first started, I had a very low budget, and so I needed a creative way to have furniture. And uh, so I, I turned uh, some old doors into uh, tables and counters and became part of the aesthetics of the whole place. Yeah, it was really cool. So I have some questions for you. And, you know, one of them actually was about the decor and how that turned out to be. So, I mean, now that we've started talking about that, let's, you know, just have it out. You said you started off with a very low budget. I did. And you chose that decor based on your budget, which makes a lot of sense. And I think it looks really nice. And actually, if you look on places like Craigslist and stuff like that, you can often see that people are selling furniture like that. And for yeah. somewhat premium prices, they're like, hey, look, you know, we've reclaimed this wood and we've done this really funky thing to it. And Give us 600 bucks, and you're like, whoa, yeah. okay. for a couple of pallets, it's pretty cool. The doors and stuff you chose based on budget, or what about the rest of the, the post, semi-post-industrial decoration? Well, a lot of it was not just budget, but also to upcycle. So I wanted to, you know, Black and Brass is kind of founded on being ecologically friendly, as well as having great coffee that we roast on site. I wanted to, you know, we, we had compostable cups, we had, everything was local, and even the wood in the countertops, I recycled, upcycled from whatever materials were at hand. Nice. And in general, the aesthetics were meant to be kind of a mashup between the old and the new. So you got the brick walls, you've got a lot of copper elements in the place. Yeah. And I wanted to incorporate, you know, the machine, which is this metal brass engine, steam and smoke. And uh, your black and brass coffee roaster is awesome. I have to say. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Travis told me, he showed me the machine while I was there. He told me that that machine actually was custom made to fall right in with the whole black and brass name, correct? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the machine is the namesake. Uh, when I said it out loud, when we were talking about the machine, I said, well, you know, can it be black and brass? 
And as soon as I said it, that was it. That was the name. And so, you know, black and brass is also the beans when you roast them dark and they're black. And when you roast them light, they're a brass color. Right on. Right. Yeah. And then also by your countertop, you also have a very interesting decor over there as well, where you have, I think, the black and brass name set up yeah. underneath that piece of glass. Yeah. Right. Am I remembering correctly? Do you want to describe that a little bit? Sure. It's, it's all made out of copper, uh, rolled up pieces of copper. Like, okay. Years ago, I used to be a smoker. And uh, when I quit, I needed something aesthetic to, or I, I needed something for, you know, tangible to kind of help me in my um, nicotine withdrawal. And so I actually, I know the feeling. Yeah. So I started rolling copper and uh, it became therapeutic for me. And I would, I'd watch Netflix and, and just kind of roll copper. And that was right around the time when I started thinking about creating black and brass. And so those all the copper elements were actually hand rolled by me and, and it, it became, you know, a struggle fighting against something, a bad habit that I wanted to get rid of. That energy was pivoted into creating, building something that is really healthy and beneficial, not only to me, but to the community. Yeah. So you're saying copper was the original fidget spinner. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. When I quit smoking, I actually, I found these cinnamon flavored tea tree, infused toothpicks nice now i don't use them anymore but like the first whatever it was three months six months 12 months i used to you know if i was just if i needed something in my mouth i would take one of these toothpicks throw it in my mouth and suck on it and then chew on it a little bit and then by the time i was done it would be little shards of wood that i'd be like peeling out of my mouth and throwing in the garbage yep yeah (laughs) we all do what we got to do to to get rid of that habit that's right I, i checked out some of your materials on your website you say you have a family history of coffee can you tell me about that yeah my great grandfather well, my grandfather came from Puerto Rico and his family were coffee growers in Puerto Rico. And when my grandfather died, uh, his family members came out and all but coerced my grandmother to sign over the rights to the family property, which she, unfortunately she did. Oh man. And, um, had that gone a little differently, I actually would have inherited a coffee plantation. So as a little side note, one of my, <laughs> one of my goals is to fly down there find my old, you know, my long lost relatives and bring them a bag of black and brass coffee and maybe even, have, you know, have that connection again to, to bring it back in, you know. Oh, wow. That'd be really cool. Other than that, I mean, you know, I was a Starbucks kid in the 90s. So I remember the first Starbucks that came to town and um, I was a teenager and it was a place where we could hang out and I could meet with my friends and I could take girls on dates. And that was a big part of my upbringing. And I never lost that sense of culture that you find in a cafe. And over the years, coffee is a ritual, right? So, you know, you grow up and you see your parents drinking coffee in the morning, watching the news or whatever it is. And then for me, that was a part of my morning ritual was drinking coffee. It's very much a part of my family and a part, I think it's a part of our culture. It is. Yeah. It's, it's a huge part of our culture ever since the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, one of the things that I'm trying to create is the idea like, Look, this is this is something we do. It's a ritual. It's a hiatus. It's almost meditative, where you sit and you take a break, and that's what smoking cigarettes used to be for me too. Is Absolutely, it was a break from the chaos of whatever's going on around you. And the difference between what people have been doing up until this point is they've been just drinking it without thinking, as like a, as a means to wake up or whatever. But I want to encourage people to remember: no, this is this is something that is meant to be enjoyed. And coffee is such an inexpensive commodity that 
why wouldn't you have the best? Right. Why would you brew swill morning after morning after morning and just suck it down and trying to wake yourself up? You had to have something great and take a moment to appreciate all the things that are good and have a bit of gratitude for what you have and, and a plan for the day ahead of you and go out and kill it. It starts with that. Definitely. Yeah. So I, yeah. way back when I used to live with a group of Israelis and one of the people in the house, his morning ritual, and I, I don't, I've done this before and it's amazing when I do it. I don't do it all the time and I should do it more often, but he would get his drink in the morning. I don't remember if it ended up being coffee or tea or whatever it was, but he would, you know, just sit down in a dark room and he would just have alone time basically, you know, like for a little bit in the morning where, you know, I don't know that he was like a hyperachiever trying to plan exactly what he was going to do that day, but he certainly sat there and, you know, was contemplative for a little bit of time in the morning before he went out and got all busy and rushed and everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what it is. It's just a moment to be at peace. Yeah, that is one thing that I do miss about smoking also, like you said, is that, okay, you know, I've been doing whatever it is that I've been doing. Now let me go take a break and go sit down and stand outside and just, you know, puff away for five minutes. And like you said, it can be sometimes meditative. You know, the nicotine was yeah. was one thing, but the actual planned in smoke break was its own thing. And sometimes it's hard to like sit there and say, okay, I'm just going to get up and I'm going to walk around for three minutes and take a little break. Yeah. There's no reason to it without that cigarette. But if you if you reintroduce coffee as a gourmet option, then maybe it is. Yeah. And it's about breathing. You know, it's about in the case of cigarettes, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but they're taking deep breaths. Right. And it's just that exhale. And, and that is therapeutic, even though smoking cigarettes is not a healthy habit. Um, taking a moment to breathe deeply and, and exhale and, and be at peace is, is, is therapeutic. And, and the same can be achieved when you're drinking coffee. That's awesome. That's very true. When I was in Pennsylvania, I ended up in your store. And I was trying to figure out, you know, who's this guy working behind the counter? And it took me a little bit, but I think we, I, I don't remember if it was through conversation or through other stuff, but I realized that you were the owner of the store. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you tell our listeners why you decided to work behind the counter that day? If you remember. Well, when I opened up, um, we were open for four days a week. I was the only person on the team. I worked, every, I served every latte, I poured every cup of coffee. In the three days that we were closed, I was working as a carpenter. So in those early days, I was working seven days a week. I'm still working seven days a week, but I'm no longer doing carpentry. You know, it was part of me introducing my product to the community and being there from the ground up. And even though I'm the owner of the company, I started exactly where everybody starts. And that's sweeping up the floors at night, you know, brewing the coffee in the morning. And um, now we have a team of about eight people. Wow. And we need about five more. And we have baristas, we have manager, we have roasters, production, you know, people who are working production, people who are roasting, people who are our head roasters, our creative directors. So he designs a lot of our labels. And yeah, but in the beginning, it was me. And when the lights were on, I was there. And I think when we're talking about what happens when a lot of people start a business, and I think this is a mistake that a lot of people make, is they start a business to create a job for themselves. And I never started Black and Brass so that I could go to work. I started Black and Brass so that I could provide a, a home and a space for the community and build something, and, you know, really create something. And so a lot of times... And by the way, I just want to point out, yeah. it is reflected, having been there, having... And been there for a few hours while I camped out doing work. Sorry. <laughs> you really did create that. I'm saying I, I watched people walk in, sit down, enjoy themselves, make themselves comfortable. They were in their own living room. They were enjoying themselves. They Everybody was totally, I mean, that's from my perspective. That's what you did create. 
is that home. You hit it. It's a living room. And we, we talk about, like, I'll talk with other people in town. It's like, no, black and brass is the living room. You know, there's other places that are the kitchen. But this, what it was always meant to be an extension of your home. Because I could be roasting the same product in a warehouse. Right. I didn't need to open up a storefront business on Main Street. I, I could have done it anywhere. The reason I opened up that business was was for the community, was giving people a place to take their date and have intellectual conversations. And, you know, all these elements have been there since the first cafe where people would go and philosophy. And I wanted to bring my childhood to life. And uh, But, you know, just to finish my thought from before, a lot of businesses won't stop being their only employee. A lot of entrepreneurs, if they're not there, the business isn't open. And that's a mistake I see entrepreneurs happen again. And in the beginning, yes, you got to be there. you got to be on the ground floor. And you got to go back and do the work so that you're still in touch with all the things that are happening in your space. But you should have a plan to exit so that other people to delegate, so that other people can go in there and do the things that, that are the day-to-day so that you can be the brains of the operation and strategize and grow the company in a way that it needs to be grown. And I see this mistake again and again and again where entrepreneurs, they ultimately just created a job for themselves. They're not creating a business. They're creating a place where they have to go to work. And they have to go to work. Right. And they can't, if they're not there, the place isn't open. And that's counterintuitive to what, you know, you should be trying to achieve as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. I recall in that conversation that we had had at your front counter that we had started talking about leadership and how leading is not forcing people to do what you want but rather to define a vision and then helping the people around you to see your vision and join in the journey to achieve it. Yeah. What are some ways that you define leadership? Um, the biggest thing is that you've got you to help people. You've got to steer the ship. So you, you've got to avoid the icebergs. But the whole time, your team needs to be, they need to be able to trust you and know that, that you have their back. If you're in it for yourself, you're not a leader. You're a dictator. Right. You know, and there's a big difference between pointing and telling someone to do something versus teaching your team how to know what needs to be done from the get-go. So we have with core values. One of them is take initiative. One of them is being an authority in your space. Being a leader is not micromanaging. You know, it's, it's, that's another trap that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into. You are never micromanaging. Yeah. Micromanaging. I mean, you, nobody is ever going to care about your business the way you care about your business. Bottom line, the end. So accept it. You have to be able to say, all right, you know what? I'm going to let this person fly. I'm going to trust them to run the company when I'm not around. They're not going to give 100% because it's not their business. I expect them to give 80%. And I'm cool with the other 20 falling out, you know, flipping through the cracks because that other 20% saves that I'm sacrificing for the business in passion, enthusiasm, everything else saves me 100% of my time to go out and kill it and build a business in the ways that I mentioned before, all the way, all the things that you need to do as an entrepreneur, there's so much you cannot be trapped behind the counter. Right, absolutely. You got to give people trust, and you, you've got to help them become their best possible selves first and foremost. Um, I want everybody to be so good that they leave Black and Brass because they've just got an, an amazing opportunity. And when they do leave Black and Brass, I want them to be successes. In whatever they do. So I'm constantly working on trying to make people the best they can possibly be. Not just brewing coffee or creating a, a latte, but actually understanding what it means to help people and what it means to serve people and have genuine interactions with, with people and, and with themselves be their best possible selves. That's amazing. That really is a, 
having grown up at a store, I'm not going to go into a lot of details and you'll see why in a second, but having spent some time at one point in my life at a store where it was difficult to say the least for people to leave there and go on to bigger and better things. I appreciate greatly the fact that you're like, you know, I want my people to be here until they can't be here anymore because they got some amazing opportunity and then I want them to be a full success, a full true success. Yeah. That's amazing because yeah. a lot of people will get petty or jealous or, or you know, oh, I don't want you to be doing that and I'm going to try and mess up that opportunity for you because I need you to be working for me. And it's like, well, no, you know, sometimes one opportunity is much better that for me than another opportunity and, and you not giving me that freedom to go and get that opportunity, you not doing that, that's not going to make me work for you harder. That's going to make me not like you even more. That's right. When you can maintain fantastic relationships with your people for years by doing what you're doing. That's right. And, and you know, maybe they're going to come back to you in five years and say, hey, you know, uh, I, that was a great opportunity. I really appreciate the fact that you gave me that opportunity, but now I want to come back work for you. Let's, uh, let's open a new store or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to enable your team to be able to make decisions on your behalf. You got to give them a budget. You got to give them goals and deadlines and a budget to do it. And when you give someone that empowerment, when you say, all right, this is the keys are yours, the place is yours, you know, treat it like it's your own. There's a tremendous alleviation of stress. And there's, there's, you know, when you treat people, your team, like you're trying to control them or you're trying to reprimand them or whatever, they're going to get disgruntled. They're not going to care. They're not going to put in. No, you want your people to be happy and enjoying what they're doing because everybody's got to work at the end of the day. We all got to work, right? So where do you want to go? You want to be in a place that cultivates joy or do you want to be in a place that everybody's pissed off? Nice. You know, come to work and, and, and be happy. I know what my answer is. I'm saying I, maybe maybe some of the listeners feel like they'd rather be in a place that cultivates being pissed off. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you got to nip that. I know where I want to be, you know. You got to nip that right away, too, because there will be, you know, we're all so used to the culture of absolutely this, you know, cog in a wheel where we're just going through the motions. And I try and teach people, no, you, you need to think. Right. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you want. Think about what you're saying. Don't ask someone how they're doing if you don't mean it. We're not robots. Right, I, and I, t- I tell them all the time. You know what? If somebody walks through the door, just say welcome. That's it. Unless you actually genuinely want to know about their day and how they're doing, don't ask. Don't placate people. Be authentic. Be genuine. Be a real person. And there's three things that we want from the customers, and not one of them is their money. We want a smile. We want a genuine thank you, and we want to hear the word wow. And this is the secret. I think anybody can take this and use it for any position, any job, anywhere, anytime. A smile, a genuine thank you, and a wow. How you get a smile? You smile. Absolutely. It's just human nature. It's, you know, when somebody, you walk in, you can be frowning and almost in spite of yourself, you're smiling because you see someone smiling across at you. You know, you welcome whoever's coming. It's a reflex. It's a reflex. I was listening recently to a, to a speech by Happiness Advantage, Sean Accor, and he did this exercise. I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I didn't see it, but he did this exercise where he had everybody face each other. And basically he had one person, he told one person, he said, you know, use all the control that you've gotten from your entire life of being in control and don't react to anything that the other person does. And then slowly but surely he builds up and he makes them think that the worst is coming. And then he tells the other side to just smile. And he's like, either you smiled, you know, when he says who smiled, who didn't, He's like, either we've got a bunch of liars or you smiled and you just didn't realize it because everybody smiles. It's, it's a natural reflex. Yeah. If, if one person smiles at you, you smile back at them. Yeah. It's ingrained in us. 
what a way to start, you know, what a way to have an interaction. You start off with a smile. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but that's what it is. Core value number one is cultivate joy. Well, it starts with a smile. And that's what we want from every customer. We want them to smile. The second thing we want is for them to say thank you. And not like a robot. Again, you know, we want a genuine thank you. And how do you get a genuine thank you from someone? You genuinely try to help them. Right. When you help someone, they thank you for it. And that's the difference between, I think, a lot of businesses. You walk in there, they're not trying to help you. They're either trying to get you through the line and shuffle you out the door, or they're trying to take something from you, your, your time, your attention, your resources, whatever it is. But at Black & Brass, we try and help people. And it could be as simple as needing to wake up. It could be as simple as needing a good drink. Or it could be something more complex, like you know, helping their business in some capacity or helping them forge relationships with people. And then the final thing is getting a wow. And, if, and that's the most challenging thing to get. When somebody actually says the word wow, and you've got that on your mind, that you, you, know, you want them to say wow. And they say it. It's such a triumph. You know, that means that they're genuinely impressed with everything, the entire experience, the product, the service, you know, the sights, the smells, the taste, the sound, everything. It's all part of that experience. And when it's a full package, and I don't know yeah. when I brought you back to the roaster and I showed you the beans and I showed you the process, I don't remember, but usually that's where you get the wow, where it's like, no, this is what we do. And we, we're passionate about what we do. And, uh, and we're going to take the time to educate you and, and show you and teach you about it. And the full package, they all fold back into the So, you know, those three things are our secret to success. Um, you need a good product, but, but beyond that, even if you have the best product in the world, people aren't going to give you any time if you don't genuinely try and, and cultivate joy and help them. Absolutely. Educate them. Yep. Out of all the leadership tools that you've been using, what's one very effective one that you found to be useful? Um, understanding what people want and giving it to them. That's my most powerful tool. You know, I spend a lot of time with each and every member of my team. I try and figure out what motivates them. You know, you might think that people come to work to, to make money, but that's really not what motivates most people. Wow. Most people are not motivated by money. And you can ask, you can tell anyone, okay, you have a million dollars. Now what? What are you going to do with it? You know, it's like, what are you actually trying to achieve in this moment? Right. Are you just going through the motions, watching the clock go by? Or what is it that you want? And if you stop and you ask people, and I challenge your listeners to ask themselves, what do you want? And beyond the superficial, genuine responses, uh, you know, if money is not an object, what would you do? What would bring you happiness? Understanding what motivates the team is a power. Is it freedom? Is it appreciation? Is it respect? Is it money? Right. And then I give it to them. If you're motivated by appreciation, well, I'm going to spend the majority of my time appreciating you. Um, the easiest thing to give to people is money. So <laughs> I love it when people are motivated by money because I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Here's your paycheck. <laughs> you know, here's your paycheck and here's a bonus for doing such a kick-ass job. Thank you very much. The more challenging is the more complex, which actually is, is the more common is people want to be appreciated more than power, more than respect, more than money, more than anything. People want to be appreciated. And that is the single greatest thing that you can do as a leader is appreciate your team. And you're not trying to control them. You're not better than they are. You need to approach them with humility and show them how much you value them because the reality is 
Without them, you're the one behind the counter. Right. And your business will not grow. It can't when you have to do all the work. That's very cool. Appreciation. I, I love that. Yeah. The next question I have written down is how do you create your vision with your team? But do you feel like the appreciation is, or like, do you have specific exercises that you do with your team to help them fall in line with your vision for where you want to go? Uh, as in like if they're, if they need reminding or what do you mean exactly? Well, I mean, you have a vision, uh, you know, when I was there, you had one store, but you clearly had plans to build more. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, in order to build up and grow and open up new stores, you know, you're going to need a, a team around you. You're not going to be able to do it all yourself like we've been talking. So yeah, yeah. how do you communicate your vision to your team and keep them on board with where you see yourself going, where you see the whole black and brass going? That's a phenomenal question. And repetition is the answer. Um, you know, you tell them straight up. We want to build this business to a multi-million dollar national company. Here's how we do it. Step by step by step. And you're, you're in this and you're, you're part of this and you, you let them know and you remind them and you ask them, you know, what do we stand for? What are we here for? What, if somebody asks you to describe this company, what do you say? And so they might have an answer one day, but the trick is you want to have everybody be on the same page. And that's when you start developing a culture. So culture is very, very important, whether you have two people, or in my case, eight, and I can only assume a hundred or a thousand. And someday I hope to get to a hundred or a thousand, but you got to be honest and you're not there. You know, I'm not there to make money. I'm there to serve the community and build something because that's what motivates me. And cultivate joy. Yeah. And cultivate joy. I want to be surrounded by people that are happy and I want my small corner of the world to be better for having me in it. Um, and so that's really what, what we need to realize. No matter how big we are, or how small we are, we're adding value to the product, to the customer, to the community. And that's the core of our company is adding value. Helping people, adding value. Adding value. Yeah. I love it. We spoke a little bit about this before. And you know, I feel with your vision, we probably already touched upon some of these points as well. But Right. You mentioned you grew up going to Starbucks and there's other big names out there depending on what city, state, country you're in, you know, Starbucks, Pete's Coffee, Coffee Bean, and others. I'm not comparing what you do to what they do. I don't think they have anything on you. Thank you. But mass culture knows and loves these places. Yeah. So as you start to expand and bring black and brass to more Pennsylvania, to Maryland, to New York, wherever you end up going, how do you plan to combat this mass culture? Um exactly everything we just described. And I really believe it doesn't matter if you're one business or a thousand, as long as your focus is to add value and make the community better. Adding value. Adding value. Cultivating the joy. Cultivating the joy. You know, I mean, I want Starbucks to come to me and offer me $10 million and I want to be able to tell them no, <laughs> you know, to buy black and black. That's my That's your goal. challenge for myself, right? Because I do believe that we could stand toe to toe with Starbucks and, and beat them because we're not a cookie cutter. We've got heart and passion and, and joy and joy and, and goals that have nothing to do with money. And, and right. most CEOs and C-suite teams are going to have no idea what to do with you. Wait, he doesn't want his customers money. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you're providing an experience for people. And that's, you know, some companies, nothing against Starbucks. because They do a good job of what they do, duplicating what they do. And, but they're really in another industry of but i don't consider them so much a cafe as much as a um a grocery aisle item you know i mean they're really 
their focus is putting cold brewing cans on the shelf and, and bags of coffee on the shelf. You think that's what their focus is at this point? I think so. I could be wrong. You know, they obviously they have multiple locations, but more and more it feels like that isn't where the heart is. The heart of the company is putting their products into the stores, which is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, for us, you need a good product. I think our product is better because for one thing, it's fresher. Yep. You just cannot stock the shelves. You know, they're not roasting on site. Right. You guys are roasting every other day or something, right? We're, yeah, now we, when we first started, we were roasting one day a week. Now we're roasting five. Right. And that's not just, that's for both for the cups of coffee that you're serving and also for the bags of coffee that you're shipping out to people or, that's right. or giving to people or whatever it is. Right. I'm saying like you, it's for everything. you guys also sell coffee online, right? Yeah. You, you have a online store. We do. Yep. Yeah. Blackandbrasscoffee.com. And you can get it online. Everything that you're ordering has been roasted within a few days. That's amazing. Always. Right. And we grow with the clientele and the customers. And when somebody calls and places an order, like a restaurant, for example, we'll serve black and brass coffee to their customers. They call and they say, hey, you know, we need 15 pounds of whatever. Okay. We fire up the roaster. Boom. And freshly roasted coffee. So that when they get it, it's freshly roasted coffee and it's local, right? So online, obviously, we ship out to as far away as California. But um, there will be a day where we have little nucleus nuclei of roasteries throughout the country yeah so that every single person can experience that freshness that's awesome um from their local community yeah on my way back this past summer i don't remember exactly when i came to you but i remember that i had told the owners of the camp about the experience that i had had at your coffee place and how amazing the coffee was and so on my way back i left my family at the camp for a few days while i went to yosemite with some um with some college-age kids for a backpacking trip and on my way back to say thank you to the owners of the camp for like, you know, just hosting my family. I mean, you know, we, we go there often, so it's not like, you know, but I, to say thank you, I popped in and I grabbed a bag of your, of your coffee to bring back to them so that they could have some fancy coffee over at, uh, at the camp and stuff. And they were like, God, and they were like, wow, that smells amazing. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I do that all the time where I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll crack open the bag so they can smell it. And the freshness of it is, is so tremendously important. We've got a cafe around here that sources their coffee from Washington. And I'm just scratching my head. I'm like, man, what are you doing? Because you can't smell anything. Compared to what you guys have, sure. There's no there's no scent. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. That's old. Right. Freshly roasted coffee is just, it kicks the patootie out of anything else. Yeah. I'm going to take a little bit of a sharp turn right now. So what is your, the name of the podcast is Way to Greatness, which talks about, you know, success, et cetera. What's your definition of success? Um, my definition of success is being your best possible self. Nice. And whatever form that takes, it doesn't stop. And that's the thing when people think, oh, you know, I wish I could be a success. And once I'm successful, I will do X. No, no, no. You're never going to be quote unquote successful. Ain't going to happen because the moment you throw in the towel, that means you stopped growing. Right. In my opinion, you can never stop growing. You can't stop pushing yourself. You cannot limit your own ambition to be a better human being. And that's where when we talk about people think success is synonymous with money. Okay, so you have money. Now what? Right. What is motivating you? What is driving you? What's what's gonna make you fulfilled in your life? And for some people it could be very simple. It could be something as simple as, you know, having a nice home and a couple of grandkids and and a dog and a cat. 
And if they achieve those things, they've reached happiness, great. But again, now what? What next? So you have all those things. Absolutely. What next? And so success isn't, isn't just a matter of accumulating things. It's inside. It's a state of being. It's the pursuit of greatness. It's the pursuit of being your best possible self. And there's always room for improvement. Well, when you get to being your best possible self at one point in time, if you ever have, yeah. like when you achieve a goal, let's say, what do you do then? Do you, do you actually take the time to say, okay, I've, I've made it over here. Let me yeah. not coast for like, let's say weeks or months or anything, but let me just appreciate the fact that I've achieved that. And now once I've yes. basked in that, you know, that feeling of success, now I can go ahead and refocus on, on bigger and better goals. Yeah. So you, you always have to be able to dream a little larger. Of course. Right? You got to be able and I've, I've, so there's a couple of elements here. First of all, you should always experience gratitude and remind yourself, even when you haven't achieved your goal, be great for the journey you're on and appreciate the process and enjoy the process because, um, you know, it's in the journey that is rich and rewarding as in the goals. Speaking for myself, I started setting goals and I started accomplishing them. And then I'd set a larger goal and I'd accomplish it. And it started becoming a positive feedback loop that just fueled my confidence. And the more goals I set, the more I achieved them. And then I said, you know what? I am achieving everything I set my mind to. So now I'm going to dream really big. Now I'm going to set a really huge goal and I'm going to work towards that goal. Nice. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, there's this constant working towards goals. Do you take the time? when you've achieved each individual goal to appreciate the fact that you did it as opposed to just, okay, I did it now, next step. Okay, I did it now, next step. Okay, I did it now, next step. Like, do you stop for a moment, recognize that you've achieved success to the point that you were trying to and then create your new goals or do you just immediately create new goals? It's um, yes and no. Uh, I appreciate it every day. So so yes, and but the appreciation of the goals that I've accomplished doesn't stop me from pursuing the next goal. Right. So, Really, I mean, no, I, I don't ever take a break where I'm just like, okay, this is, this is sweet. I'm in a good spot right now. Because right now, I'm in the best spot I've ever been in my entire life. Um, my finances are in order. My, my relationship with my wife is wonderful. Uh, my relationship with my family and the people around me, you know, business is great. So I'm, I'm grateful for all the achievements and blessings that, that surround me. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to kick up my feet because there's, there's so much more that I, that I want to achieve and there's only so many days that we have. Right. I'm not suggesting to kick up feet and to spend a lot of time saying, hey, you know, I did it. Now I can take a break. More along the lines of if people are always looking to achieve something and then as soon as they achieve it, they immediately set the goalpost higher without recognizing the fact that they've achieved that goal it can create this cycle where they never fully feel like they've achieved success or unless they sit there and say, okay, no, yeah. I've done this. Okay, good. And like, you know, make a real realization of, okay, I've achieved that. And now I'm going to set the goalpost a little bit higher. Not saying like, you know, I'll take a break for two months, but like a real true recognition of the fact that, okay, I've achieved that. And that's awesome. And, you know, I've been working a long time and I put a lot of work and effort into achieving this and now I can move forward. In truth, it's an affliction. It's almost an addiction. No, you know, I don't ever feel um, satisfied. I don't feel um, completely satisfied because I always feel like there's something more that I could be doing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of dark, and, and the, but the reality is, yeah, I mean, 
I can work a 17 hour day and still feel like ah, I could have squeezed more out of that day. You know, I, I think that's part of the affliction of the serial entrepreneur of just absolutely constantly it's this sense of not feeling like uh, satisfied or, or fully accomplished because there is always the ability to set the goal higher. I mean, that's part of what I'm bringing out is that, you know, you, you mentioned before that you define success as being your best self, which is a great definition. But I feel like it's important for everybody to take some time every once in a while and say, hey, look, you know, I have done everything I can. I have been my best self up until this point. I am a success at this point in time. I can sit there and say to myself, like, you know, you did it, you know, recognition, appreciation, some gratitude, like you mentioned before, the gratitude is very important. And then understand that they've made it there. And so now, because I've made it here, now I want to go ahead and work on my next project, work on my next goal, work on my next thing. But to recognize in the past, okay, I did it. As opposed to always, okay, more, 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 more. Because then you never get to rest. You never get to, to appreciate where you're at. You never, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of joy in life. And a lot of, you know, you said cultivate joy. There's a lot of joy in life that you could be missing out by neglecting to recognize what you've done you know it's it's a big part of growth and a big part of the ability to i don't want to say sleep at night because you know when when you're doing all good things all the time you know you're not like keeping yourself up at night like oh man you know like not quite like people who are in careers that maybe they do things that they can't sleep at night with but it's great for all of us to be able to turn around and say, hey, I did that and I can appreciate that and I accomplished that goal and I did really, really good and congratulations me, you know, or, you know, have the people around them say, hey, congratulations, you know, you really did it. And not to say, let's go take a break for three months and not do anything, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, you know, just appreciate where we're at. Yeah, totally, totally. And I definitely, I mean, that's why there's an appreciation of all of that. I mean, absolutely. I mean, enjoying your accomplishments. I certainly enjoy my accomplishments and, and I love, I love being praised on them and I love, um, reflecting on where I am today versus where I was two years ago or three years ago or 10. But by my definition of success, you will never be truly successful. It's not something that you, there's no finish line. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit. So you can be successful at accomplishing your goals, but as an individual, in my mind, there's no such thing as a successful person because we're always in a state of growth and we're always in a state of movement. And that just, for me, it, it feels counterintuitive of, uh, of what it means to pursue success. Right. I would challenge you to try and perhaps create an additional definition of success for yourself. The one that you have is great and being in a constant state of growth is amazing. And that being said, I would also point out that Part of life is growth and I don't know if I want to use the word failure. Oh, yeah. Failure. Absolutely. But, you know, life is essentially it's, it's a yo-yo, you know, like you grow sometimes and you yeah. don't grow sometimes or you fall sometimes. Sometimes you get up and sometimes you fall and sometimes you get up and sometimes you fall. And typically with that growth mindset, even when you fall, it actually propels you much higher the next time around because you recognize the things that you can do better. Absolutely. Failure is so important. But yeah, right. But I think that with, you know, if you have a secondary definition of success, it could potentially help you because, you know, this way you can say, okay, when I accomplish this goal, I will be successful, not for the rest of my life. It's not a stopping point where I sit there and say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. But, you know, that's a big goal. Let's have a little celebration. Let's recognize the fact that we were just successful with this particular thing that we were trying to do. 
and now let's move forward to the next goal. This way you actually get to have that that moment of satisfaction and stuff. And I just completed a goal that I had thought about doing as far back as 15 years ago. You know, it was very gratifying. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. I got my wilderness first responder. So that's, I thought about doing that first. Nice. Thank you. You actually know what that is, it sounds like? Um, no, <laughs> I don't. If <It> <laughs> I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, no, it, it sounded like you did for a second. I was like, wow, somebody who actually knows what that is. Wilderness first responders. So you have to train out in the, out in the woods to be able the to. The training wasn't actually done out in the woods. But yes, we, we learned how to practice I'm not sure exactly the right way to put it, but like essentially practice a rudimentary form of medicine out in the wilderness when you're very far away from definitive medical care. So we can't use a lot of it. We can't use almost all of it except for CPR out in the front country. Like when we're, you know, cause he's like, what happens if you're out here and something happens? We're like, pick up the phone and dial 911. He's like, exactly. But when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, uh, then, then we can start using the skills that we just learned and, you know, assessing spinal patients and packaging them and taking them out. And fig- the, the biggest The biggest thing is is that it's mostly systems to determine how badly somebody's hurt and whether or not, how quickly they need to get out, if they need to get out at all. So in a a crisis situation, I want to be on your side. (laughs) With my backpacking trip, yeah. When he was doing some of the mass casualty simulations, which means that like, let's say like there was a whole outdoor group that ended up in, in a bad situation. He would like lecture us. He's like, if it's ever your group that this is happening to, you made a mistake. He's like, I'm teaching you this stuff because if you guys are out there hiking with your group and you find another group that this is happening to, that you know what to do. He's like, your group, this should never be happening because if, if this is happening to a group that you're leading, you made a mistake and I don't ever want you be doing, to be doing that. <laughs> you know? awesome. It was very cool. But I mean, that's, that's something I thought about getting when I was like, um, you know, at least 15 years ago. And it just kind of sat in the back of my mind. And now I finally did it. And that's very good. And so being able to recognize the fact that, hey, this was a goal and I did want to do it. And now I did it is very gratifying. Granted, now I have to figure out the next goal. Now I have to figure out the next <laughs> way to challenge myself. Yeah, it's very good to like be able to have that time to like celebrate and, and appreciate the fact that you were able to accomplish that goal. Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, I mean the gratitude is important. I think you know on a daily basis as well as as well as taking appreciating your your accomplishments. One hundred percent, I'm with you on that. Yeah, just a couple more things. We're getting ready to wrap up soon. I know I sent this to you. I completely understand if you don't want to answer it. Just let me know. Be honest. But answer an unasked question. Something that you know, but no one would ever ask you and you would not usually volunteer. Huh. Um, I think I sent it to you. I may have deleted it. And feel free to not answer it at all. But, you know, so an unasked question. Something that maybe I should have asked, but I wouldn't. And I wouldn't. you wouldn't necessarily tell people usually. Gosh. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I would have to. Yeah, I would have to think about that. There's not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I'll tell you like this, if you want to circle back to that towards the end of this, let me know. And if not, we'll just leave it. For, you okay. know what I mean, <laughs> I don't want to like put you under a lot of undue pressure. That's not the the goal of this. On your website, I was taking a look through your website and you know just looking about looking at the information you have up, and in your video, which by the way is very well done, I think. Thank you. You talk about coffee culture. Yeah. And I, th- I think we touched upon this a little bit at the beginning, but w- what is that and what does it mean to you? Uh, coffee culture. So it's community. It's to be able to socialize and, you know, be in a, in a relaxing, joyous state of being. That's, that's coffee culture in a nutshell. 
I guess people don't usually get pissed off and go for a coffee, right? No, no, they don't. Man, I, I, I am just furious. Let's go get a coffee. No, yeah. it just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, people come to get a cup of coffee because they want to socialize for something. Spend time with people. Yeah, it's either, you know, let's meet at Black and Brass is a catchphrase. That's where people, the best place for people to meet. Um, when they're before they're going somewhere or after they're coming back from somewhere or if they just want to spend a, a few minutes with each other. Business people, relatives, family members, lovers. You get it all, huh? You get it all. People are going there to enjoy, to socialize in a relaxing, comfortable state of being. And a lot of times, you know, it's mental synapse. The synapse is firing. People are thinking. People are discussing big ideas. So not just cultivating joy, but sparking creativity even. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, you said it. Absolutely. Nice. Sparking creativity. Yeah, and that's brilliant. That's so eloquent and so simple that you said that. It, absolutely. I, it happens to be I love the word spark for the the image it puts into the <laughs> into the brain. Anytime you say it, you're like, we're going to spark something. And people are like, hey, you know, it almost creates that little spark in the back of your mind with the imaging. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. You know, so that's that happens to be, you know, I, I work in marketing. I worked in marketing before I started doing the stuff that I'm doing now. And yeah. if you're able to use the word spark to... And obviously, at some point in time, it'll be overused. But at the moment, I don't think it's too overused. And so if you're able to use it some way, somehow, like it just it creates a great image in the mind, I think, with that word spark. Spark. Oh, I'm going to use that. <laughs> it's planning <laughs> on using it too, but nice. Sparking creativity. Love it. I'm glad. Uh, how can you leverage this coffee culture to create a better experience in your stores? Well, um, every, every way. You know, I'm, and better experience. I'm not saying that there's anything lacking in the experience right now. I'm just, you know, in general, like how can you leverage it? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the name of the game. So you, you know, you leverage it by, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, you know, giving people what they want, helping people feel comfortable and helping people feel comfortable. People want to um, socialize. We're going to help them achieve that. And we're going to give them something new and interesting uh, on a regular basis so that they can that they can keep it fresh and it's all about helping people and it's all about understanding what people want and then giving it to them right that goes for coffee culture that goes for business in general that goes for your relationships with the people in your life that are closest to you and it goes for strangers it goes for everything it goes for everything and it's so simple it amazes me that more people aren't living by this philosophy of just finding what people want and being able to be the person to give that to them it could be as simple as a smile or it could be something much, much deeper and more complex. But um, understanding, you know, it's an exercise in empathy. Right. Understanding another person. Right. I meant to use that word earlier when you were explaining it to summarize it as empathetic. Didn't get a chance to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And also, I mean, just because you're trying to figure out what somebody wants and trying to give it to them doesn't mean that it needs to be a full-time job. Because obviously, with people that you're not so invested in, there's limited amounts of being able to give them what they want. You know, if you meet somebody at a bus stop, everybody at that bus stop knows you're not giving them the thousand dollars that they need for rent or that you're not going to sit there and and try and solve their marriage problems. But, you know, what are the expectations there? You know, you could give them a smile. You can sit there and say, hey, I hope everything's good with you. I don't know. You know, the the homeless person, you can buy them a hot cup of coffee, right? Yeah. Speaking about coffee. Yeah. There's certain things that everybody. Limitations and reasonable expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. 
if that's what you're talking about. Everybody wants to feel happy. And I don't care who you are. I mean, that's one thing. So it doesn't matter who you come in contact with. People want to feel and experience joy. Hey, it's a constitutional right, you know, the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> the pursuit of happiness. That's right. I mean, it's embedded in our core culture as, as a country. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that it doesn't cost anything to crack a joke and make someone smile or, you know, everybody wants to be happy. The end. Not everybody wants a cup of coffee, you know, but everybody wants to be happy. And so when your focus is making the place better because you're there, right. um, that's an easy way to do it is, is, again, cultivating joy. And you do that enough times where, you know, everywhere you go, you make it, you want it to be better because you were there. And then at the end of your life, the world was a better place for having you in it every interaction you have with someone is an opportunity. A lofty goal for us all. Yeah. Do you find that you like the coffee or the people better? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot now. This is, this is, that's the question that I, uh, <laughs> that's the question that nobody asks that I wouldn't really tell. Um, oh, okay. The, tr- the truth is, um, <laughs> God, uh, I, I would have to, I would have to say, um, (laughs) I want to say, I want to say the coffee, but it is, it is the people. I'm a social person and, um, uh, I like the people more, more than the coffee. Um, for sure. It's my, I actually, I did have to think about it because the coffee is pretty damn good. I I don't think I would uh, want to sacrifice, uh, I wouldn't want to sacrifice the coffee, but, um, no, the coffee is pretty damn good. Thank you. As somebody who's been there, the coffee is pretty damn good. If you're ever anywhere close to Honesdale, Pennsylvania, which is out in Wayne County, actually think about stopping there and making it into one of your little um, off the beaten path trips. You know, to head up over there and check out Black and Brass. Yeah. One other question, and I think we can wrap it up after that. Actually, there's going to be a couple here wrapping into one, but. One of the aspects of the mass stores like McDonald's and Starbucks is that they, they build the stores to be basically the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is something that sometimes you'll see business professors bring up or people who write about business as one of the reasons for their success is, you know, like uh, we, here's how you make a hamburger. You wait 10 seconds, you flip it. You wait 10 seconds, you flip it. Here's how you make a coffee. You do it exactly this way every single time. But with you, you've got this eclectic decor in your store. You've got a unique space, a unique way of doing things. And again, your lofty vision and your lofty goals of trying to help people cultivate joy, spark and creativity, all of this stuff. How do you plan to adjust for the changing locations and the changing decor? Uh, the, the locations and the spaces should be as creatively designed as the community it serves. Nice. So it's not about duplicating black and brass as it is in home scale. It's about providing a space for the community about recognizing what that community is about and giving them an extension of their living room. Right. Bingo. Bingo. So it sounds like you don't plan to replicate the decor per se. No, no. I mean, there's certain things that will, you know, there's certain elements that I'd like to incorporate with every spot, but am I going to, you know, like the bricks? I love the brick wall, but that's just the black and brass coffee roaster. You know, there's going to be a black and brass coffee roaster in every spot. Okay. So that will be there. Right. Um, yeah, we want our coffee to be fresh. We want to duplicate our roast profiles and our brewing methods for sure. But when it comes to the couches, when it comes to the seating, when it comes to the walls, and one of the things we have is, is local art. So obviously when you walk into a Starbucks, it's like all the art is the same. It's ubiquitous. Right. 
Right, right. Right off the bat, the art is going to be representative of the locale. That's right. That's awesome. That's part of it. So we, you know, we want to we want to have a consistent product, but we want to have a creative place. Nice. I love it. All right. And lastly, I like to leave our listeners with something, you know, a thought, an action, something that they can put into place today to make a difference in their lives. What can you offer our listeners? It could be something that you do. It could be something that you've thought about doing. It could be a thought that you've had or something that you've been ruminating on. Anything that you can leave our listeners with that when they listen to this podcast, they can put into practice immediately and find that they notice a difference. Yeah. Um, I guess because it's the, the new year. Well, I don't know when the, this podcast is going to air, but Absolutely. We're, we're talking here in, in January. You want to... The thing that I would challenge everyone is to dream big, set a huge goal for yourself, and don't be afraid to fail. Because I would rather fail building a hundred million dollar national company than fail at building a one million dollar company. Right. So set your goals big, and have the confidence and the courage to fail. <laughs> the confidence and the courage to fail. We didn't talk about failure, but failure. And your relationship with fail failure needs to change. You need to to embrace it, learn from it. Have you had any epic failures in your life? We could talk about that for a second if you have a minute. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't be human if I didn't. Of course. And the difference between, you know, we're raised where you get an F and you go home and that's it. You know, the class is over. You failed. That's not how life is. Right. You messed up. You know, we, we do not go through life accomplishing every single thing that we set out to. And we mess up. And we play the fool and we embarrass ourselves. And there's plenty of times when I've been foolish and failed. And the truth is that you need to fail fast. When something's not going right, fail fast. Recognize it. Learn from it. Recognize it. Pick yourself up and move on. I learned that lesson. I was running a company. I was doing everything I could to keep it going. And at one point in time, I was working with a business coach and I spoke to him and he's like, well, in your wildest dreams, if everything went perfectly well, how much would this company be making per year? And it made me stop and think. And I was like, you know, I don't know, $200,000 a year, maybe 150, maybe as high as like a half a million. He said, well, do you want to be investing as much time and effort as you are into something that at its best is only going to do that? And how long do you think I thought about that before I said, yeah, it's time to shut this thing down. Yeah. And that was hard. It's not, yeah. you know, like this is something you put, I, I would put time and effort and, and other stuff into that. I thought I never had that, that I guess you could say conversation with myself of like, well, where do I see this going? And then as soon as he pointed that out, I was like, huh? Yeah, no, I think we're done. Uh, it's time to put it down. Yeah. <laughs> Move on to other stuff. My, my wife yeah. started a tea company and we were running both businesses. Um, Black and Brass, a coffee company, and Loose Leaf Pages, a tea company. And the tea company wasn't cutting it. I love that name, by the way. Go ahead. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, it, it was great. We had we had everything. You know, it was coffee and tea, husband and wife. It was a cool logo. It was a good, high-quality product. Uh, but it was costing us $2,000 a month. Right. And we were at it for a year. And we said, well, it's not working. We're going to pull the plug. Because... And it was embarrassing and, and it was hard and, you know, nobody, nobody likes to feel like that, but you know, a $20,000 mistake today could be a bankruptcy. 
In 10 years, absolutely. Next year, 10 years from now, $200,000. That's very interesting that you said that. You just gave me this amazing visual, which I think maybe will help everybody else imagine that as well. So are you familiar with the example? If you take a circle and you start at the center of it with only, let's say, a one degree opening, right? One degree, meaning the circle is 360 degrees. So you take only that one little degree. And if you have a, a diameter the size of a dime, it's minuscule. It's tiny. You can barely even see it. Yeah. But as you grow the size of the circle, essentially, as time goes on, that one degree problem can be miles and miles and miles if the circle gets big enough. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's still only one degree of the circle. That's right. But if the circle is big enough and you let it continue for long enough, it just it can grow to be a giant monstrous pot problem. And it will. And it will. You know, you fail fast and you pick yourself up and you move on. There's no, there's, you're not benefiting anybody by clinging desperately to something that isn't working, whether it's a business, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is, let it go and learn from it. Learn from it and move on. And so your relationship with your, yeah, your relationship with failure is not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace, to expect because it will happen and continue to grow and learn from it. And so, you, you know, I like to say failure isn't where the class ends. It's where the class starts just starts beginning. That's what the lesson is. Right. You don't you don't walk away from getting an A in school, um, learning to doing something with that A. You you learn the most when you have that F in life. I'll tell you by the way, in this class that I just took this wilderness first responder, one of the biggest lessons that I learned is when something catastrophic happens or extremely stressful happens, the body goes through what they call the autonomic stress response. And that can go into the parasympathetic system or to the sympathetic system. And that the, the specifics is not so important, but you know, the way to think of them is either the fight and flight, fight or flight, which people are used to, or what they call the rest and digest. That's the one that, you know, that shuts the body towards closer down as opposed to, you know, jacking the whole body up. And I came onto a scene where, where I was supposed to be rescuing somebody and they were exhibiting a parasympathetic stress response. And I thought that they had all this other stuff and when he later came out, he's like, no, the only thing that was wrong with them is that they were having a parasympathetic stress response, right? This rest and digest where they just shut down. They couldn't look at me. They couldn't see me. They couldn't, they had no idea what's going on because they were so stressed out that the body just, you know, because in this scenario, a bunch of people had gotten struck by lightning. Whoa. Yeah. Well, it didn't really cool. happen. Thank God. <laughs> right. No, no. Yeah. It's an interesting scenario. But it took that lesson and it really shoved it home because now like I'm going to be I hope much more aware that, you know, the only thing that might be happening right here is that this person's having a stress response and I need to just go ahead and help them either calm down if they're jacked up or to come out of it if they're shut down. And then we can start to try and figure out like, is there anything actually wrong here? You know, and people who are in education called it a formative teaching experience. Called it a what? Essentially. I think a formative teaching experience because meaning he builds it to fail. So that by failing, you realize just how important that lesson is. Awesome. Yeah. And like you said, he didn't sit there and say, well, you got that one wrong. You, you failed the class. He sat there and said, okay, now you guys all really know what that stress response looks like. That's right. Now you guys all really understand what that's really like. And now the next time that, that happens, hopefully you'll have a much better ability to cope with it. You know, people go thorn when they see the headlights. And it's like people get themselves in a situation where they're unable to make a decision, make a choice because they're so afraid of the repercussions if they make the wrong choice. Right. No way to live. Right. Sometimes you just got to make a choice and move forward. Yeah. What's that Rush song? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. That's right. Right. When you get stuck in the headlights, you don't make the choice. And then the next thing you know, the choice has been made for you. And it may be not what you would have done. So sometimes you just got to make that choice. Go forward, see what happens, and then reevaluate. Yeah. And a lot coupled along with that is setting a goal high. 
because you should have a relationship with failure where you anticipate it. Right. You know, not, I'm not saying bring it on, but you should be comfortable knowing that it is a, a very real possibility. Well, I mean, going back to what you were saying before, you know, like if your goal is a hundred million dollar company and you fail and you only create a $50 million company, most people can be okay with that type of, uh, that's right. Result. But if your goal is only a $1 million company and you fail and it only ends up grossing half a million dollars a year, but you've got 10 employees, there's no money left for you. Okay. You know, and I'll give you another example. My goal last year was to read a book a week. That's a lot. Yeah. And <laughs> as, I, as an I, avid reader, that's still a lot. I, I could have, you know, I could have set a goal to have a book a month. My goal was to read a book a week. I failed by 50%. But that you still read 26 books. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I gained confidence and knowledge and understanding of where my shortcomings were and why I didn't achieve that goal. Something as simple as reading. Right. You know, but my goal for business is, yeah, it's to have a hundred million dollar company, not a $1 million company, a hundred million dollar company. What does that look like? When you're playing a game, you know, you got a game board in front of you. There is a finish line. And if you don't win the game, Nobody wins the game by going halfway through it, by setting their goal at the first peg or whatever. You play the game, you're going for the end. Right. How do you win? You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's what I teach my team. How do we win? What are we trying to accomplish here? This is the game that I'm playing is for black and brass specifically. Okay, here's the finish line. It's a $100 million national company. So now I can see the entire board and each and every step I need to get to the goal. Absolutely. Versus, you know, if I'm just saying, ah, I just want to be able to be my own boss and survive, which is what a lot of entrepreneurs do. Yeah, they do. I just want to make a living and be my own boss. Okay. Well, I hope you succeed. <laughs> but <laughs> Success at that is not so much success. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. And really, if you're ever near Honesdale, I can't recommend enough trying to make a little stop over there. Check the hours before you go. Blackandbrasscoffee.com. You got it. Again, going back to the last little bit that we had talked about and we got off on that tangent. The takeaway is dream big. Don't be afraid of failure. Is that right? Bingo. Take a few minutes. Write down those big dreams. Don't be afraid to fail. And the more that you work towards those dreams, the more that you may find that you are being personally fulfilled as you're on your way to greatness. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, Travis. Thank you. Pleasure. On September 26, 2019, Sharon Folk wrote a review on our podcast. She gave us five stars. She said, great discussion. Loved listening to your interview with Joe about how he came up with the motivation concept. Sharon is a marketing manager. Check her out on LinkedIn. Join us on our next show for another great interview. Remember to hit that subscribe button and remember to go and leave a review for us if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or on whatever your favorite podcast app is. We'd love to have you and we really appreciate you taking the time to journey on your way to greatness with us. Thank you for listening to the Way to Greatness podcast, where we explore the journey from failure and mediocrity to success and greatness. Keep moving on your way to greatness. Join us next week for more stories, inspirations, and interviews to help you achieve the greatness within you. Thank you.